Welcome to Data Basic, a Warwick Data Science Society podcast aimed at making data science simple and accessible. Today, we'll have two guests, Kenneth Lim and Kitty Kovac. Kenneth is part of IBM's data science elite team who implement data science solutions to business problems in various industries. And he'll be talking about his journey from studying business to where he is now, as well as what he would say to people who find themselves in similar situations. Kitty is an undergraduate data science student here at Warwick. We'll be discussing data privacy, where things can go wrong, and a potential solution. Now, Kenneth took an unconventional route to becoming a data scientist. While many come from a technical, mathematical background, Kenneth actively decided to avoid mathematics during his undergraduate degree in international business. It was only when he was writing his honours thesis that he became interested in getting a deeper understanding of the statistics that he was using. He discovered a programme at Warwick uh, called the Bridges programme, which was specifically made for people in his situation, those who had knowledge of social sciences and business, and who wanted to go into a more technical field. So after signing up for, but then actually not completing his PhD, I wanted to see, did he think that what he gained was worth it? Talk to me about the PhD. So you mentioned that you sort of didn't think about it too much um, when you were going into it, or you thought about it and it was like, right, this is free, uh, it's education, and it's in a subject that I want to do, and I get a scholarship. Do you think this experience was worth it in, in a sort of air quotes? Like, how would you define the, the worth of this PhD? What did it do for you? I, I just want to give you a bit of context. So I think I see a lot of people discussing this question around, is a PhD worth it? You know, is it worth to do a PhD? And you know, sometimes some arguments come up around the cost of things, you know, opportunity cost, um, as well as you know, and all sorts of, of, of things. I'm sure you would know, you know, having done your own research. And to me, when I was thinking of doing a PhD, there were some people who, you know, who used to tell me things like this is this is useless, and you know, and they would tell me and they would show me, let's say, and an article by The Economist, right? I, I think it's probably The Economist, um, and if you Google it, you might find it, um, about the value of a PhD and how worthless it, it has become because, for example, it's no longer the case that a lot of PhDs stay in academia. And, you know, maybe the, 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 the skills that you learn are not very transferable and things like that. I did it anyway because, to me... It was not really about the economic benefits at the time. And it was more of a personal thing. I, I really wanted to learn statistics. And, you know, I, I always believe that if I wanted to learn anything, I have to go to the masters in it. You know, if I wanted to make a watch, I would go to, you know, the, or if I wanted to make, you know, a shoe, a very nice shoe, I would have to go to you know, these, uh, the master cobbler, for example, right, um, and things like that. And same with statistics. If I wanted to learn about data, it has to be the statistician, because that's the bread and butter. And that, to me, is, is worth it in itself. And of course, now, you know, now it just so happens that in, in the industry and society, the role of data has really, you know, uh, increased in its importance. But back then, it wasn't that clear, you know. Um, and still, I, I think that the, the value that I got out of it is something that I cannot replace because 
the, the PhD to me was a unique experience. And I know a lot of people you know, probably have not had um, such a wonderful experience in the PhD because it can be very uh, challenging, for example, if you, know, and if you can read about it, it because essentially you're isolated, really, um, for a long time. And I think we're all slightly more used to that than usual, <laughs> given the previous year. <laughs> exactly, and then you, you, you double the isolation uh, on top of that. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And, um, but I was very lucky to, to, to be in, in Warwick Stats Department, um, and I say this really because it really changed my life. I mean, right. the, the academics are, are wonderful people, um, and also the PhD students. It's a really great department, in my opinion. And I learned so much from my peers uh, sitting around me, and they were very generous. I mean, they knew that I was starting off from a different place, but still they would always be ready to help me, right? Um, mm. And at the same time, I had a wonderful supervisor, uh, Jane Hutton, who I don't know. Yes, exactly. She's one. Uh, yes, Jane. She is, was is... She was actually the, the last guest we had on the show. Oh, really? She, she was just a, such a fantastic person to talk to because she has such an experience in academia and also applying it in, in sort of court cases medical and, and medical statistics exactly. and things like that. Yeah, so, so she was my supervisor. And I, again, I have only good things to say about her because, mm. you know, I don't know which other statistician would take me on at the time. I didn't even know what a function was when I approached her. Um, and yet she said, okay. You know, and wow. I, I don't know anyone else. I mean, she is a very unique individual and she really helped me out so much. You know, she gave me the time that I needed and the space and the encouragement. I, so I, I think I, the value of this is, uh, you know, not only from, a, you know, of course now, as I said, with, with data being so important in the world now, it's, you know, it's given me a head start, let's say. But at the same time, a lot of it is just the, the inner confidence, I would say, you know, because when you understand how to solve a problem with data, I mean, that's super transferable, right? And it's also, it gives you the confidence to know that if you can achieve something in the PhD, which is you're really breaking new ground in, in a very tiny way, but still, nonetheless, no one else has done it. And if you could do that, then you could really, to me, you know, it's sort of it, it, quite a few of, my peers and, and myself even, we, we've come to the conclusion that, you know, we, we just need time. Like, of course, some problems just cannot be solved. But if you give us enough time, you know, I think we have the confidence and also the, the experience to know how to solve those problems. Um, and I think that gives, you know, increases the chances of us actually succeeding, succeeding in solving the problem. So that's, that's why I think, to me, it's, it's a wonderful experience and I would not, um, yeah, I, I think it's super valuable. Wow. Thank you very much. That was a fantastic answer. I'm sure that, I mean, it, it's not really a, a, a something you hear about so much when you think about PhDs because what's written online and what's written in articles, like you said, the value of a PhD, oh, it's, it's useless. People don't really think about the actual knowledge you get while doing the PhD. If you go into it from a knowledge kind of uh, perspective where you think I need I want to learn about this thing I want to learn this or I want to know more about this to see what I actually don't know because I'm coming at it from a, a perspective where I don't even know what could be there so yeah Absolutely. people people talk about what you get out of it but they fail to mention the main thing you're supposed to get out of it which is ostensibly the knowledge 
Correct. And and I think also there's another thing, right? And and may, maybe you might be interested in, in this analogy because I, I've been thinking about this uh, a way of uh, trying to, um, let's say, quantify the value of something. And if we think of this question, we could actually think of it as a, let's say, a linear model, right? right. Um, or some kind of generalized linear model where it's basically an equation, okay? And, and you have your outcome and you could call it whatever, you know, value or something. And that is a function of several things, right? And of course, you know, economic benefit or whatever is one thing, your, your earning, potential earnings and things like that. But for different people, that coefficient is going to be very different. And, you know, there are other terms in that equation that actually might be a lot more important to, to another individual. Which, yeah, to me, this is just my initial thoughts on how do I think about these kind of problems. Because it's, you know, education, it, it's very important to me. It, it, because it, it really changed my life, right? Um, but for a lot of other people, they might not see it that way. And, and to me, it's because I don't put, you know, my coefficient for, for the potential earnings or whatever was not that high. Uh, it was just more like, I really want to learn. I want to understand these things. That was like, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's a good analogy. And it's, it kind of shows, I guess, from a decision theory or a game theory kind of way, you want to maximize the expected value of something. And of course, a part of the expected value is sort of sort of the raw money, monetary aspect of it. But also, the, there's other things you get from it, it's like um, knowing academics, learning from them, meeting your peers, meeting people who will become the next great people who found companies. Exactly, and, and, and my friends are great, and I wonder, hmm, why am I not there? But anyway, <laughs> yeah. well, even even now, um, some of the people that I that I know that have graduated i i look at them on linkedin and i'm like oh i wonder what they're doing and then it's like oh fantastic oh, wow yeah, it's good to see that. that there is really no ceiling to what you can accomplish yeah and, and also i think that there's one really nice thing about um education which it it really gives you the time to, to think of some really different ways of approaching problems right um and i think those skills you know if you use them, if you use your time correctly, you are actually gaining a lot of transferable skills, even though it's very difficult to, to explain to others, right? Um, at times, for example. But I think personally for yourself, it gives you a little bit of the inner confidence and the inner self-belief that, hey, you know, when I see a problem, I just don't blank out or I, I don't um, you know, panic, for example, when I see numbers, I don't go, oh my gosh, I can't do it. No, no, you know, it's like, okay, hold on, you know, let me take a step back, let's approach it and break it down. What is the problem? And then start to break it down. And I think these things actually help in life as well. Uh, that, that's my opinion. Yeah, I think, that's a, I think and, that's a very positive outlook to have. Yeah, and, and also, you know, the thing we talk about decision theory, also about your, your utility function, everyone's utility function uh, it's slightly different, right? Um, yeah, exactly. And, and I think, honestly, if, if someone would say, look, I want to do a PhD because I can become a data scientist and earn X amount of money, I would say, you know, if, if that is such a big driver, then, you know, okay. But if that's not such a big driver, you know, spending four years of your life trying to solve highly theoretical problems with almost no practical applications most of the time, or at least near-term practical um, applications, is it's going to be difficult. 
and I would say that you sort of you, you lose a little bit of the value of, of a PhD from the other perspectives. Um, but if you're doing it for yourself, um, then I would say, hey, you know, why not? Yeah, because you don't really need a PhD to become a data scientist. No, and, and I think, you know, the, the, I, I, yeah, you don't, because there, there are all sorts of jobs that require all sorts of different educational profiles, right? right. And, and really, you know, a data scientist, you can always, I would say that I, I've been reading stuff online, and it's not just on data science in general, but, but, but it's more of the, the role of education, formal education. And, you know, you, you see a trend of uh, big companies now uh, saying, hey, we don't need these formal education uh, certificates anymore. You, you could take a non-traditional route and, and get into our programs uh, and things like that. So maybe times will change and we go down that road. And, and then the, the, the role of an, you know formal education certificate as a, as a foundation for a data science career might not be that important anymore. Um, so I think it, it really it really depends on where where do you see the value of your, 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 your degree, for example, or your education, right? Because again, if you just did something for the outcome of um, a job and you don't put your you know and, and okay, let's be practical. Some people have to do it and I, I definitely did it with my business degree as well. So there is some element of practicality to it. But at the same time, if you don't put in your heart and soul into the process, then you kind of lose out a little bit, right? So yes, you would get a job, but it's not going to be as fulfilling. And definitely the, the journey over the years would not be as fulfilling and definitely would not give you all those skills that you could have acquired if you, if you went into maybe something less, uh, you know, quote unquote, data science-y um, and put everything inside, right? Because sometimes life, you never know. It just brings you in all sorts of weird directions. And it doesn't mean you, you did a data science degree. It means you have to do a, a data science job after that. that that's mm. my opinion anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it just in general, it, saying that um, maybe it's not exactly the, the the degree that you wanted to do, or, or maybe it's not exactly the one that perfectly aligns with the job prospect. But if it's if there's something else that really you're passionate about, there's a lot of skills that you get from all degrees um, that you can apply to other ones, like problem solving. Obviously, sort of mathematics there's a lot of problem solving but there's different kinds of problem solving in many different degrees you know you, you have to solve problems in a sociology degree you have to solve problems in a history of art degree you know you need to know how to do research obviously there's there's a certain aspect of technical to it but i would say that's certainly a flaw rather than like and that the floor is not so high they especially for entry-level roles there's certainly more of a focus on I'm passionate about this. I'm a quick learner. Um, and I can put up with difficult things. I've done this XYZ degree, you know, or, or even I, I don't have a degree, but I, I have put in a lot of work to show that I'm passionate about this and I have the skills to do this. Absolutely, Martin. And I think there are two things that I would love to add here. And one is, you know, I think if you're passionate about something, and it could be, for example, like you say, I, I'm in a history of arts, uh, art history degree or a sociology degree. But, you know, I end up being 
for example, me, you know, suddenly developing an interest in statistics, data science and stuff, it, you will always find the way to incorporate those things as part of your learning. Whether or not it's formally recognized or not, you will find a way, right? Now, the second part is, how do you convince someone? How do you convince someone to give you that chance? You see, and you need to do unconventional things. If you, if you take an unconventional route, then everything else has to sort of be unconventional, right? Um, and I, I think one of the challenges in, in this world, and it's something that I'm also figuring out, is how do we get beyond just looking at someone's pure background and doing this sort of like box ticking, you know? And if you don't meet this, you're out immediately. Um, and I think it's a very you know important question because, for example, you you would if you just focused on someone's um, you know, uh, did they do this degree or not, then you sort of miss those who actually develop those relevant skills. Yeah, perhaps there might not be a lot of people, but they could be very valuable for your organization. As an example, let's talk about data privacy in the wider world. Data is being collected for all sorts of reasons, a common one being targeted advertisements. But privacy in data collection and analysis is also relevant in medical experiments or political surveys. People collecting and using this data want to extract meaningful conclusions or predictions from the data without breaking privacy laws. Kitty Kovac will talk to us about a concept called differential privacy. So Kitty, what is differential privacy? Let's say you have a company and this company wants to gather some data about, um, for example, about the users of, of their product. Let's say they want to know how many fingers they have. So they ask, they, they put out a survey, they ask how many fingers each user have, and they'll, they'll answer the survey. It's an anonymous survey. Let's say they have Jack um, who answers this survey. And the, the outcome of the survey is that people have 10 fingers, around 10 fingers. And so we learned, they learned something about Jack. The company learned that Jack has 10 fingers. Have we violated Jack's privacy in this case? I would say no, we haven't, because if Jack would not have been included in the data set, if he would not have answered the survey, uh, the company still would infer that Jack has 10 fingers. So this is what we call differential privacy, because including Jack in the data set or excluding him from the data set does not make a difference in the outcome of the data analysis. So it's indifferent if, or if Jack is in the data set or not. What are some ways in which we can deal with issues of privacy and data? Are some better than others? One instant way that everyone would think about is just removing their names and ID numbers or address or like very personal information by which you can identify them instantly. So we remove them that from the data and you think, okay, so we, we kept their privacy. But actually this does not work very well because in most, most occasions, uh, it is still possible to relate the data back to individual people. Just to give an example for this, Let's think about the Netflix prize. I don't know if you know what that is, but a few years ago, Netflix released a lot of anonymized data, user data. They removed the name, ID, bank details, address. So anything very specific, email address, they removed all that. They released what movies, TV shows people were watching at what time to each user. 
And the goal of this was to have a competition to improve their algorithms that predicts what a user might watch next. This worked very well for a few years. And then two researchers at the University of Texas managed to link the Netflix data to IMDb data. That is publicly available, the IMDb data. So they did nothing illegal. And they managed to combine the two data just based on three uh, data points, which were a combination of title and the approximate day they watched that movie, because that was recorded on IMDb as well as on Netflix. And based on that, they managed to match up Netflix users with IMDb users. And so by this, they managed to uh, get more information about IMDb users that they should not have gotten, because Netflix data was supposed to be private. And this is an example why anonymizing data does not help. So you can say that, okay, this is just movie data. Who cares if I've watched Garfield or uh, another movie or TV show? But actually, it might relate to your political um, approach, or it could be like done with some other type of data, like health data, which is much more private. So we should look at some other approach. One approach would be to publish statistics only, but that still won't work. For example, if there is only one person from uh, one village that is very specific uh, in that one data set, because you only have one person from that, that place, you will be able to tell that. Maybe you won't be able to tell everyone, but you will be able to gather some information from the data that you shouldn't have. Another much better approach is to add some noise to the data. So we randomly change up the data to ensure that users are protected. So even if someone uh, thinks that based on this data set, uh, there is some private data that they can infer about someone, that person can deny that because it was changed. So that, that is called plausible deniability. And to give a small example of this, let's say you have an anonymous survey with a question you would not want to answer because it's an embarrassing question. And the way you answer is that you'll have to flip a coin and you answer truthfully if it comes up heads. Otherwise, if it comes up tails, you'll flip the coin again and you answer yes to the question if it's heads and no to the question if it's tails. So by this again, you can always blame it on the coin, whatever your answer it is. So this is a way to get people answer service truthfully, but they can, this can also be implemented within the data collection. So it's not the person who answered the question or who, whose data is collected, but the, the, after the data is collected, they can change it up in this way, just uh, randomly modifying data, and then they won't be able to certainly tell that that's a true answer for you or that's really your data. So this is a way to ensure that your privacy is protected. What is uh, IBM's data science elite team? Uh, what makes it elite? I, I think the way that IBM is, is thinking about itself right now is it's undergoing a change. It, it now wants to be very much into the data science space and you know, they're putting a lot of investments in this space, right? Because traditionally they've been helping the companies. Now they want to help these companies um, in, in, in this day and age with data science. 
So the IBM Data Science Elite team, um, as, as the word elite uh, sometimes has some negative connotations to some people, um, <laughs> but I, I really just think of it as, um, it, it's almost like, a. I think the way it was created was it was meant to be a bit like a, an analogy would be a SWOT team, right? Where you would have a challenging situation and you would call a team of experts to come in to solve that situation quickly and the value comes in you know solving that problem quickly and here that's exactly what we do so we get called into projects with uh, different clients to to work on all sorts of different projects uh, with them so we're not tr- i mean some people might think of us as consultancy but i think we are slightly different from that we, we don't charge that's the first thing so there is no revenue from our services you know whereas in a traditional consultancy this is how you earn your money we, we don't charge it's it's an investment from IBM to really help companies get two things one is to familiarize themselves with our platform we call it cloud pack for data where you sort of like work on you know, all sorts of data science problems on the platform with you know, calling both let's say open source things like Python R and also more proprietary things that uh, a software that a company might need, you know, in terms of you know, storing uh, data, managing data, and things like that. So that that's one thing. So familiarizing you know companies with our platform, and the second thing is we do that by working with these clients to solve an important problem that they are facing so we're you know we're working really side by side with these companies and so it's not really like a consultancy where we go okay you should do this no we actually work with them and say hey if we bring the best of your world and our world what can we achieve right and so there's a lot of um, collaboration involved so it's slightly different so do you think is the aspect of speed really important for the the data science elite thing? Because I guess with traditional consultancy, it's like we get, you know, call 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 the Ghostbusters. They'll they'll work on it for a couple of months and they get something back to you. Would you say the data science elite team is more like, oh, we have the situation. Someone quick call the data yeah. science elite team. <laughs> like, like, like get the Batman. You know the oh, it's it's this it's the logo. We have to yeah. go to that company. Yeah, I, I, I like that. Thanks. Um, yeah, no, I, I think speed is one. So there, there is a combination of two things, speed and value. And here we, we sort of, you know, like you said, some traditional consultancies might take the approach of, okay, tell me the problem. We come in, we consult, we take a couple of months and we, and we give a presentation. For us, we, we do that in, you know, in, in weeks to you know, six, 12 weeks, sometimes even four. It depends on the problem. And so speed is definitely one thing. And during this time, we're actually not only working closely with the clients, but also, you know, there is a lot of like, uh, they call it the agile methodology, right? Meaning that we are sort of giving, we don't just come in with, this is what we're going to do, full stop. No, we go in, this is what we think we're going to do based on our interactions and, you know, discussions with, with the other the party and go okay this is the reasonable thing that we can accomplish in, in six 12 weeks four weeks whatever and this is the plan but we also know that plans have to be adapted for the situation 
and you know that's where we sort of have to work around things and we're very happy to always be you know thinking of what the client actually really needs first rather than saying no we have a plan no, okay we, we need to solve the problem first and therefore we, we're a bit more agile a bit more adaptable to these things and it's always it's it's a very iterative process and the point here it's not just about hey let's build a let's build something quick it's really I, I, this is my interpretation of things, right? It's really the start of something bigger. Because, you know, you can imagine in a company which traditionally hasn't done data science, and there are a lot of companies, right? Because, you know, like I said, the role of data is becoming bigger now. Um, and, and the issue here is companies need to make investments into projects, right? Because they're investing time and money and resources. So one way of, justifying an investment is you know you could say look it's going to cost whatever amount of money up front but but sometimes you don't really know the value that it will bring especially in, in the data science um, world right because it, for example with data it's not just about i want to see this you know you, you kind of this is what you're going to you don't know what you're going to get ahead of time usually right it's a bit like a hypothesis testing uh, approach you can't just say i'm going to confirm my uh, hypothesis uh, you, know, you, you test your hypothesis and, you know, doing some sort of like what we call a proof of concept first sort of helps to give you a rough estimate of what kind of return on investment can you ex expect. And if the return on investment looks good, you proceed to the next stage, which is let's now really build this out to, 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 to be a bit more, to put them into production or to, to, to sort of like infuse that in the company's uh, processes and, and uh, departments, for example. So it's kind of like a trial run of what data science can do for a company? Yeah, you could think of it that way. Exactly. It, it's sort of like if you have, it's, it's like, you know, I have a big vision and then we sort of break it down and say, okay, how are we going to do this? And, oh, right. we need to, to, to get to that vision using this way. And, well, let's do the, like you said, a little trial run because we know what we need to do. But if we can get a, a bit of a taster of what it might look yeah. like. I think a taster is, a, is exactly. probably a better way of looking and, at it because it's like... You, you get you get them like oh this is you know it turns out data science can actually do a lot for a company yeah. we didn't we didn't even think about this because if you don't know about data science you don't know what it can do or yeah. you think you know what it can do but it turns out it can either not do what exactly what you thought or it can do something completely different that you didn't even realize might be useful absolutely absolutely how did you find out about this um, IBM data science elite team and how did you find IBM um, as a company when you were looking for uh, positions? Yeah, actually, it, it was one of those uh, LinkedIn uh, job postings at the time. And, you know, I, I remember applying for that because I I really wanted to be a statistical consultant. So, you know, in my last P year of the PhD, I actually sort of initiated a mini statistical consultancy with uh, John Fenlon, who, who teaches design of experiments in, in Warwick University, uh, the stats department. And we were helping sort of, uh, you know, life sciences researchers. And it was very fascinating, really. I, I liked it. And I said, you know, I, I really want a job like this. And so when I saw this job, I was like, hey, I mean, is this, is this it? Like, can, can this be true? <laughs> and it turned out to be, hey, wow. You know, uh, like, yeah. I, and uh, I haven't looked back since, really. Oh, fantastic. So it, it was really a case of, you're already doing something really similar and it turns out that 
this and role I found exists. something very similar. Yeah, exactly. I was like, hey, yeah. I want to do that. And I was like, whoa, that thing looks like... That's looks like exactly it. what I just found. Yeah, hey, what? perfect. I, I need that, yeah. <clears throat> so then you, you sort of went into this uh, role with... with Certain, did you did you well let, let's put it this way did you go into this role with certain expectations about what data science consultancy would be like based on what you'd already done and then was it um exactly what you expected or were there some parts that you uh, that were new to you when you when you arrived there yeah and, and i think i think I, I went in with a fresh pair of eyes because you know the way that that this was positioned was i kind of understood it was not like traditional consulting, right? It, it's working with a lot of clients on different projects. There was a slight nuance to it that I was a bit, I was a bit curious about, really. Like, what, what, do we, what do we really mean? And it took me a while to understand that, that nuance. And then the, the, the thing that really struck me during this time was that you, there's a lot of problems out there that data can solve but at the same time it's it's not easy to to solve in you know it, it sorry in some sense right it's like there are all these problems out there and sometimes it's very clear how data can solve it and sometimes it's not and also the one thing that was kind of sort of uh, um, it, it really made me, you know, it, it helped me understand the world a bit better was was when I realized it's not all just about applying models you know, or in, in the world of machine learning algorithms, for example. That's just part of the process. And I'm quite heartened because, you know, um, when, when I worked with John Fenlon or even with Jane, Jane Hutton, you know, a lot of time it's spent trying to understand and define and refine what is the question what are we trying to to solve here and that to me was something that i i really enjoyed then and thankfully it helped it helped that you know in this job that there's a lot of that going on and it's always nice that it's a different domain after a while and things like that so you get a very broad exposure so could you give us sort of an example of um the kind of things that you've been working on at ibm yeah, so it could be, for example, recently, you know, I, I worked with a, a very large uh, public transport company uh, based in, uh, in the wider region in Europe, Middle East and Africa. And we were trying to try and we were, what we were trying to do was to help them and work with them to create personalized marketing campaigns for for the their own customers in a semi-automated way so really trying to build a semi-intelligent system where you could automate certain processes that would help you right. and then eventually sort of like gives you the the relevant insights that you need uh for, let's say the marketing person needs to create the campaigns that they they want to do right okay and what we we, we ended up doing was you know uh, sort of customer segmentation and it was the, the process of it was really interesting because in the end we managed to find some really nice insights about these customers that that um, otherwise they would not have found and there you know there was a combination of doing what we would call traditional business intelligence dashboarding um, but also sort of infusing that with more advanced data science methods to really understand the data much 
deeper than what uh, traditionally would have been possible. And we ended up finding you know, a very small um, cluster of, of customers that, we, that was really high value you know, and, and that would otherwise would not have been found. In, in the, and you could imagine this, you know, if you have tens of millions of customers, how do you find you know, a group of small individuals that are actually you know, kind of hidden, but they, they're very valuable, not necessarily in the traditional sense of customer spending only, but in other dimensions. You know, and if you could think about this as a huge space, like you, you, you could be wading through this and, and not, not finding them because there's so many data points, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is, I, I think, one example. You know, another example is working with, with uh, you know, insurers, sort of help them process the claims a bit better, uh, insurance claims, and you know, building again some nice um, machine learning algorithms to help them predict uh, certain outcomes and things like that. Um, so that, yeah, so really we could be doing a bunch of, of different things, but hopefully that gives you a bit of a flavor. Yeah, I, I think given the the broad overview and now some specific examples, it's it's a a nice taste of uh, what the data science elite team at IBM does. Uh, so, what would you say is the the role of mathematics in uh, in either data science or the work you're doing now? Yeah, no, that's a great question, uh, Martin. And I, I think, to me, you know, again, if we go back to that analogy of your your equation, you know, uh, and you substitute the outcome now, um, and and you you for for whatever outcome else, and and you put mathematics as an ability, for example, you know, it's a continuous measure or, or things like that, it's a score even, and I would say that really depends the the coefficient of that 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 term really depends on the kind of job that you're in, right? And I would say that as a base, there is a level that you need. But for a lot of jobs, I think the ability to to apply the mathematics is a lot more important than deriving something. That's number one. And the other thing that I think doesn't get talked about a lot, but this is my own personal view, is mathematical thinking. There is a certain approach that you learn to solve problems when you study mathematics. And it's a bit more on the logical side of things, you know, um, how do you break down problems uh, and, and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that to me is probably one of the big, the most important things when you, when you go out into the working world, really, especially with uh, doing a data science uh, role. Right. Because, you know, in, in, and, and if we, you know, think about uh, somewhere like DeepMind, for example, I think that comes the closest to me, for example, it comes the closest to an academic uh, outlet in the business world. Right. And I think there you probably, if you're working on, you know, developing novel algorithms, novel models for you know, all sorts of problems. Yes, I think you need a high level of mathematics because you would probably be you know, proving a lot of things and, and it's basically you know, almost like academia, right? But on the other hand, if you're applying you know, existing methods, then that changes things. It's no longer about deriving but applying. So you really need to know how to you know, define a problem, which I think mathematics trains you very well to do, right? You need to always have what is the problem and then you start to break it down and then you start to, to develop your steps. 
And I think it works this way too. So the, And then finally, you need to be able to, when you apply it, you need to be able to read a bit of uh, maths, right? So for example, you might be thinking of, you know, hey, I'm not sure what this model algorithm does. Let me read up about it. And then you start to see some equations. Now, you know, you could either get turned off by it and then, you know, or you could say, hey, I'm going to apply my mathematical thinking here and my, my knowledge. Go, oh, okay, this is roughly what it does. So I think here, if the concept around application, then, you know, you, you're, it's more important to be able to apply your mathematics. And the, the thinking that comes with it um, is going to be the main plus point here. So it's more about how mathematics trains you to think specifically than um, the things it teaches you or like the uh, the specific techniques that it teaches you um, when you're in a, in a more business or, or even data science um, realm. I, I, I guess there's so. I guess there's a continuum I, exactly. from uh, from like Google DeepMind to um, maybe on on a more business intelligence or, exactly. or IBM Data Elite kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So I I think it 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 really depends on the spectrum, right? Like I said. So if you're creating new and novel algorithms, of course you would need to apply more of the uh, the theoretical set of things. But if you're applying stuff, then it's really about how can you use what you already know to, to, you know, even if you need to learn something, it's basically using your knowledge of maths, reading symbols, understanding equations, uh, and going, okay. And as a, as a final question, what tips would you have um, to anyone trying to get into data science? Um, so I guess specifically from someone with a similar background to you, or someone who hasn't done data science so much before. There's a technical side of things, right? There's the data science side of things and there's the non-data science. To me, the data science side of things, I was trained by Jane Hutton, uh, who, who taught me really the importance of exploratory data analysis. And I recommend everyone starting with exploratory data analysis. You know, I, I used to tell Jane, but this is so simple. She's like, okay, show me. A and I couldn't. I was like... I don't understand why it, everyone says it's simple. Why can't I do it? And she says, maybe it's not so simple after all. And I was like, but it's just graphs. It's just tables. What do you mean? I, I don't believe that. And, and then I came to believe that, no, actually, good exploratory data analysis is not easy to do, but it's the foundations for any applied work because you really need to understand your data. You know, even though nowadays you can run any algorithm, but if it doesn't make sense, it doesn't, it's not going to cut it. You know, you need to understand your data. You start with exploratory data analysis, and then I would say, you know, learn data visualization. How do you communicate these kind of things, you know? Um, because that's part of exploratory data analysis, but it's a bit different because now, you know, when you do exploratory data analysis, it's sort of your own thinking of things, right? You might do several box plots and things like that, but at the end of the day, how do you communicate this to someone else? How do you make it crystal clear? What's the main message they're trying to create? Once you do those things and at the same time start learning, you know, applied statistics um, on, on the other side. So, you know, for example, I, applied statistics, I think there are two elements. One is you could take a good book like um, a, a book in medical statistics by Doug Altman. I think it's called, you know, Practical Statistics for, for Medical Research. Okay, take that kind of book. It, it gives you a very good overview of all the different methods, uh, starting from exploratory data analysis to ANOVAs. And, and things like that. It gives you a very good grounding. And at the same time, I would suggest someone also studying a little bit of mathematics. It never hurts. You need to understand and not be afraid of numbers. 
um, and things like that, right? And I think once you do those things, you kind of, you have a good grounding. I, 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 so a lot of people might say, go Kaggle, do machine learning. I take the view, you know, start with your basics because I, I learned it from my own experience. Having the roof is, is not going to be enough you need the foundations. And to me, the foundations come in three things. Exploratory data analysis, mathematics, some some level of mathematics. I think you need to understand functions and calculus and and, and some things like that, but not the full-blown, you know, like... Uh, right, math, so math don't degree. sign up for a maths degree yeah, just don't, because you, you want to yeah, exactly. do data um, science. Especially if you don't already have one, that's, you, you're going <laughs> to set yourself up for some disappointing results, I would say, yeah, if you're not yeah, in yeah. it for many, many, many years. Um, mm -hmm. So there is the exploratory data analysis, mathematics, and also, you know, a practical book on statistics, applied statistics. That will right. set you up very well. And the last one is the non-technical side of things. I would say there are two main things. One, it's perseverance. And the other one, it's being unconventional in your approach. You can't compete with people who have all of the prerequisites in the same way. You have to think of unconventional ways to put yourself out there. And when you do that, you're going to get a lot of rejections. Uh, trust me, I've, I've put myself out there because I know. And, and that's why you know. Uh, you're going to get a lot of rejections and you've got to take them on your chin. And you've got to believe that you, you know, and you've got to believe that you're going to get it and you got to keep working because even though you get rejected, you know, you, you, you're one step closer because it just takes one person to say yes, you know, but at the same time, you need to be open to feedback that say that, oh, actually, I don't have those things. I kind of need to learn it, you know, but then also balance that with like, hey, you can't learn everything, right? And like, if what's the point of learning the latest and greatest algorithm if you don't even understand how to plot your data or if you don't even understand what a linear regression is? You know, and, and people think linear regression is so simple, I would say, well, there's a lot to it, um, you know, and, and it's a bit more, you know, if you really dig deep into it, there can be very, very interesting results and things that you might not have expected. But anyway, those are my, my points. So just to summarize, applied math, um, you know, mathematics, a bit of mathematics, um, exploratory data analysis, a good applied statistics textbook. I, I personally recommend, you know, Practical Statistics for Medical Research by Doug Altman. If you Google it, you get it. And then Perseverance and Creativity. Thank you to Kenneth and Kitty for joining us today. And thank you for listening. Next time on Data Basic, we'll be joined by Dr. Becky Arnold, an astrophysics researcher at Keele University. We'll talk about the Turing Institute's Guide for Reproducible, Ethical, Inclusive and Collaborative Data Science, to which she was a contributor. We'll see you next time.